opportunities that Satan uses to attack believers. And uh, he, he has used all kinds of what we call fiery darts. We've been talking about a variety of those and pointing out where they, where they have. Let's jump right ahead. We've talked about a bunch of them. In the book of Revelations, we said last week that one of the areas that he uses is corrupting established religions. The synagogue of the Jews was something that was good and proper, but we see in Revelations 2 that he says that all of a sudden Satan came in and he distorted something that was meant for good and uh, an appropriate place of teaching and he distorted it. Is there the possibility that Satan would also distort churches? that are meant for good. And that is a reality that we'll see in a few minutes. One of the areas that he did, did a lot of distorting it is in false doctrine. We ended up last week just glossing over this quickly in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. The things that they'll do is forbid to marry, command to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received them with thanksgiving, which believe and know the truth for every creature of God is good. He goes on and talks about it. The false doctrines in this passage are real clear, and he's saying it's going to increase. False doctrines will grow in number as we approach the last days. And he said that they will even be within the church. There will be false doctrines. When I say the church, I'm talking Christendom in a real big sense. I'm not talking about born again, uh, absolutely evangelical. I'm talking about anything that claims to be uh, Christ-oriented, and yet they may not have truth. And we know that that happens, that in the last days, and we're seeing it, that there's a lot of churches that talk about Jesus, but they're filled with false doctrine, where you have to get baptized to go to heaven, where you have to, um, uh, you can be a good enough person to work your way into heaven, where they're even questioning, even in, in Christian circles, do they question the deity of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. They question whether he's come in the flesh. They question his abilities. They question if God be a male or a female. They question if God is pantheistic or if he is the creator. Do some churches even question whether God created or if the world evolved? Are churches on board with evolution? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so there's a lot of that false doctrine that's coming. And he says that ideas that they're going to keep on giving heed to, the ideas it's going to catch on. It's going to get more popular. Now, the areas that we mentioned in this text are a couple. There could be asceticism, that is suffering and denying yourself, or there could be even that idea of animal men, equality, and that whole aspect of evolution and how we all are related to one another. Or with that in mind, the asceticism could be that you can't eat certain foods on certain days and that makes you spiritual. And so we know that this is true. We see this in our community that there are churches that come in the springtime. There's that season of Lent where it's propagated that idea that you need to suffer to make yourself more Christ-like and more acceptable. And uh, we know that that's not biblically true, that we don't earn God's favor by you and me suffering, that it's by grace that we're saved. It's by grace that we're able to come before the Lord. And it's not because I suffer or I wear certain things on my forehead that make me look like I've been in mourning and ashes and things of that sort. And so we know this is a false doctrine that's permeating. He, we went on and we stopped right here. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 11 is where we're going to jump to today. Okay, And pick up there. 2 Corinthians 11 that talks about one of the texts that talks about false teachers. Now in Acts 20, Paul has gotten the believers together and he has said, beware. There's going to be those in sheep those in that are going to come, the wolves in sheep's clothing, be very careful. 
They're going to come. And these false teachers will permeate into the church. Well, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about in chapter 11, and he makes these comments that we want to point out a few things. 2 Corinthians 11. Uh, yeah, chapter 11, and jumping down in verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transferring themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no wonder. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing that if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Then he goes on to make some other comments. I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak yet not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many glory after the flesh, I could glory also. For you suffer fools gladly, seeing you yourselves are wise. And basically what he's saying, you've got false teachers who are attacking me. Let me, I don't want to do this, but let me establish myself and say, okay, I'm going to tell you about my position as an apostle. I feel like I'm boasting. I don't want to be boasting, but I need to establish that I'm telling you the truth. And then he talks about some of these false teachers, and he makes comment in verse 20. If you suffer, if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face, I speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak. Howbeit wherein soever any is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? Etc. Etc. He is alluding to to the fact that some of these false teachers have taken over the people, that they are causing them to suffer. That's the asceticism. That they're putting them in bondage to their rules and their regulations. And he is saying, you know, um, these guys come in and they make these rules, they make these regulations, and they tell you that if you're going to be saved, you have to listen to them and wear whatever they tell you to wear and make sure that you have your, your you know, keep all their rules and they've got you under bondage. By the way, does that ever happen today? Are there church groups that tell people what to wear, colors to wear, or they lose their salvation? Does that ever happen in our communities? Okay. And so he's warning the people about that. And he's saying, these guys come in, and he says, and they claim to have special authority or relationship with God. And he just goes on, he says, you know... um, And they say that I'm a nothing. I'm a Hebrew. I have studied and I've seen visions. I've seen dreams. And again, he's not boasting for boasting's sake. He's trying to establish that what I'm telling you, I'm speaking from a forum that is definitely of God and I know whereof I'm talking about. Now, in all that, he's commenting on the false teachers. And we can make these observations, okay? That there was false teachers very early in church history. They aren't just to us. We know they grow in the latter days, but false teachers teachers were were around. And when they come in, they look and they sound good, okay, because people are giving ear to them and listening to themselves. And they come in presenting themselves as ministers of righteousness. They don't come in and present themselves as promoting something that is evil necessarily openly. Something evil and something caustic. They don't come in and say, let's stop worshiping Jesus, let's worship Satan. If they were coming into the church and saying, let's worship Satan, would they have any, any platform of an audience? The answer is no. Because if they started talking and saying, let's exalt Beelzebub, what would most people do? They'd kick them out. They'd kick them out. Okay. So these guys come in and they present themselves as, I am preaching good. I am preaching your know, truth. I am preaching. And by the way, um, are certain groups, do they get an audience? Do they get attention from the general public because they promote some good ideas? 
Okay, have you ever seen have you ever seen advertisement for certain church groups that talk about family and how important family is? Yes, no? You ever see it? And yet their doctrine, they question the deity of Jesus Christ. But they're, they promote a doctrine that sounds good. And if, and if you were an individual and you were having family problems and you were looking for somebody to help, would those commercials get you to say, well, maybe this group could help me out because they're big on family? Does that make sense what I'm talking about? Okay. They promote some good things. Uh, are there religious groups that have false doctrine but they build hospitals? Yes. Okay. And they, have, and they do good works. Are we opposed to their good works? I mean, can, can somebody do, humanly speaking, can they do good and benefit other people? Can even the ungodly do that? Yes or no? Yes, they can. Okay. And they sound good, they look good, and then you and I come along and say, yeah, but they're teaching false doctrine. And somebody who doesn't know their doctrine might go, but look at all the good they are doing, okay? And they might even help out grandkids or your relatives. And so that's convincing. Well, that's what he says. The false teachers are coming in. And one of the things they're going to do is they're going to present themselves as helpful, as beneficial. And that's wise from Satan's point of view, because then you wouldn't be put off right away. You'd say, okay, there's benefit here. They usually claim special abilities. Okay. They disguise themselves as he put in the text that they come in and they're, they're disguising themselves. He says into transforming themselves. Verse into apostles. Are there false teachers that claim apostolic abilities? Apostolic abilities would be able to do healings. Apostolic abilities claim to do visions uh, or have apostolic abilities as visions. Apostolic abilities would be able to have direct communication with God. Are there any errant teachers around that you know of that claim to be able to have special messages from God? Yes? Yes, yes, okay. And he warns and he says, and then, and then you and I run into people that say, well, but they, but they healed, but they had a vision, and they predicted, you know, that the world would get worse, okay? You know, something non, non-specific. But they claim these authorities. And by the way, could they also have legitimate, could they have legitimate authority? Could they, could some of those healings that take place, could they be real healings? Legitimate healings? Why, who would give them the power to be able to do that? Satan, because the false doctrines would, would that confuse people? Okay, sure. And so he's warning that they're very dangerous because of the effects of their teaching. They bring people into bondage. They, they uh, dominate those individuals. So he's warning us about false teachers. Unfortunately, we, are, we often look at what good they do and stop there. There's a lot of people that look and say they sound really good. They are a great speaker. They say some things that touch a chord with me. They have done some good stuff. And they get caught up with it. Could that even happen? Now he's writing to the church. Could it even happen that within the Christian, true Christian community, the evangelical community, could some people be caught up listening, getting involved, and, and letting themselves be taught by somebody with bad doctrine? False doctrine? What did you say? They do. They do. Okay, And they look and sometimes and they say, yeah, but they're such a good speaker. Well, that's what he's warning us about. 
is don't be caught by appearances. Don't be caught by just some of the things that they say or do. Be very careful. You have to examine what is the core of their belief system. And so he talks about some of the dangers. They enslave people. And he uses the terms, as you read a little bit further on in some of the verses where we were reading, that they prayed, P-R-E-Y. They're like beasts preying on individuals and believers who are not discerning about doctrines. I think frequently of this, this truism. We were, we were in the beginning years of the church. We had a service that was going, and we had some visitors from a group that's north of town, the Assembly of Yahweh's. You ever see them up on 78? Yes, okay. Um, they are Judaizers. They are the true sense, the closest thing I've ever seen to Judaizers, um, where, they, uh, where they are very, very, very uh, oriented towards the Old Testament and that they have to follow all the feast dates, things like that. We had some visiting our service. And they came on a couple occasions. And uh, we were cautious. We were trying to, you know, we warned the congregation, be careful, careful. And the one evening that they came into the service, which again, we didn't say you were not allowed because they hadn't disrupted our service up to that point. But the, uh, one evening we had a family visiting. And it was in the old building and the family sat right about here, okay, about the third, fourth row back. And these people who were from that assembly, they knew immediately that these folk were visitors, Soon as we broke the service, guess what happened? They immediately went to these visitors and started giving them their doctrinal stuff. And so uh, we got involved trying to say, listen, we, you know, we don't want you here propagating these things. It was a very awkward situation. You know what I mean? You're trying to say to the people who are visiting, these people here have nothing to do with us, don't listen to them, but we're all within the same service. And so then that was the point. We said, you're not welcome anymore. Okay, if you're going to come here to proselytize, you know, leave. If you're coming to listen, to engage, to examine the truth, that's one thing. But now you've, dis- you've, you've displayed what your purpose is. You're here preying on people. Therefore, you're no longer welcome in our services. And so um, it was one of those situations. So when I read this text and talks about praying and devouring, I remember quickly back to that one setting, how, the, how that happened even within one of our services. These false teachers, we know this from Scripture, that they elevate themselves. And we, if we start going through like the epistle of Jude and start going to Peter's epistle where there's a lot of conversation about the false teachers, they, they talk a lot about some of the characteristics of false teachers and how you need to be careful and look at their fruits of their lifestyle, not just of what they do religious-wise, not just what they, some of the good things they're saying, but you need to examine very deeply their doctrine and their deeds as far as their lifestyle. And they get in, Jude gets into that and Second Peter gets into that quite a bit. In fact, what they talk about is that idea that you look and, and there's several, several areas that you examine teachers in. Okay? Their doctrine, number one. Number two, when you're looking at personal lifestyle, do you remember what, they, what the epistles of Peter and Jude talk about? What areas in particular? That a lot, false teachers, this is a, a, a common tendency... Morality is usually a question, and money is usually the question, okay? They're usually very oriented towards money, and they take advantage of people morally um, in that sense. And those are where Peter and, and uh, Jude both warn about, because they, they, are, you know, they, they are the clouds without rain. They are the individuals who take advantage of individuals, and they heap it to themselves, satisfying their flesh, 
That is their desire for getting and their desire for their, their own personal uh, physical desires. And he warns us about those two characteristics. And by the way, you and I can sit here and start thinking, wait a minute, does that ever happen that some of the false teachers, you find out that they live way high on the hog at the expense of people and that they have taken advantage of people? Okay, you have like, the, the, and I'm going way back into history. <clears throat> One of those most blatant stories that some of you don't even know about. Jim Jones, remember? Okay, was, there, was that very characteristic of him? The abuse of people, even a lot of the, the gals and, and men, uh, sexually and, and money-wise? It's that, that's what he's warning us about in the text. So what we need to do is when it comes to teachers, okay, we need not to be taken in by the smoothness of somebody's talking, okay? Um, the clever speech, okay? No matter who the speaker is, what are you supposed to be doing with the speaker, the teacher? Examining the scriptures, whether the things they are saying are true according to scriptures, okay? So examine doctrines. Look beyond their words. Look at the lifestyle, Look at the lifestyle. Because some people can put up great works publicly, okay? But what are they living behind the scenes, okay? So look at lifestyle. Do they live the word personally? Okay, that's very important. Don't make toleration the greatest of virtues. I think this is a real character, a real danger for us in modern day, is that we live in a society that we're supposed to tolerate everybody, right? Except for who isn't the ones that are being tolerated anymore. Okay, the, the conservative Christian element. But we're supposed to tolerate everybody. Tolerate anybody, no matter what they say, what they do, how they live, who they marry, um, you know, all those things. They're supposed to be tolerant of. To the point that we almost, in Christian circles, we have been so, so um, uh, bombarded with the idea of toleration, 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 that all of a sudden within the church there's a more of a creeping attitude that says, well, let's tolerate everybody and anybody who says Jesus Christ and uses his name, okay? And it's almost as if the greatest virtue of all is toleration, just being acceptable to everybody. And I'm not saying that we should be caustic, and I'm not saying that we should be rude to people, but we should be discerning and we should separate from those who do not hold to the truth. And if they say the truth, but they do not live the truth, we're not supposed to just quietly tolerate that. We're supposed to confront that, that they live the truth. And so in this sense, that you and I, when it especially comes to teachers, we're supposed to be very, very careful. Now, what's the problem that we have in modern era, in the 2000s, what makes false teachers, what gives them an even broader platform and more impacting platform? What do we all have to contend with that's, that makes it easy to get into our home? What's that? Internet, TV. Can, it, can, you, can you get under a lot of stuff by just Googling and get exposed to stuff? And you look it up and you go, well, I'm not really sure who this is. And wowzy. Okay? And, and by the way, do, do the, most of these TV guys, do they know how to present themselves in a TV program? Okay, uh, what's his name down south? Mr. Smile. Um, Joel Osteen, you do know what his degree is in. He has no theological degree. He never, studied, he never trained theologically. Okay, do you know what his degree is in? TV production, media production. That's his formal degree. That's what he studied. 
When his father passed away, his father, uh, who, his father appointed him to be head over, the, of, over that ministry. And he at first said no, but his father and then his mother, um, after his dad passed away, then they were, they were very insistent that he took over. Does he know how to present media-wise to make things palatable and, and, and interesting? Folks, that's, that's what his whole training is all about. Okay. So is there any question why this guy has become popular in America? He knows marketing. And so he's marketed that which is really, really appealing to normal, commonplace America. Is he doctrinally sound? No. No, he is not doctrinally sound. Um, his wife made this statement to me about two years ago in one of their broadcasts that God is more concerned about our happiness than anything else. Okay. Is, do you believe that's biblically true? No. God is not concerned about our happiness. God is concerned about our holiness okay, more than anything else. Because he's not about making us happy. He's about making us conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And so does God bring trials into our lives to make us holy? Yeah. So if you say that God is interested in our happiness, what does that say about trials? There shouldn't be trials if you're walking with God. It's a gospel of prosperity. It's a dangerous gospel. But does the world like to hear a gospel of prosperity? That everything will turn out good. That if you give to me, you know, these guys, that if you give to me, you'll never run out of money. Well, if that's the case, why do I have to give to you, okay, if you've got that gift? Uh, so you've got to be very, 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 very careful. How can we resist such attacks? Be sure of your faith. Number two, okay, let's go a little bit further here. Are you personally studying the Bible? You cannot discern if somebody else is following Scripture if you don't study the Bible. Let's take it a step further. Stay under the preaching and teaching of God's Word as much as you can. Okay, And so get yourself exposed to as much Bible as you possibly can that is sound and solid. And then as well, examine what you hear. Okay, what, what you hear with what the Bible says, not what you want it to say or what you think it should be saying. You examine what does it say. Okay? Now, I, don't, I don't like this text. I say it tongue-in-cheek. Where it says, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. I don't like part of that verse. Part of the verse says, when you fall into diverse temptations or trials. What part don't we like? We're going to have trials. Okay? Okay, and that makes it difficult. And I don't like the part that says, count it all joy. Because that's hard to count it joy when we have difficulties. But it is the Word of God. Whether we like it or not, that's what the Word of God says. Okay? And so we have to be careful. We have to examine. Be careful what you expose yourself to. Be very, very careful. Um, hey, I'll, I'll, get, I'll give you a, a, a radio program that is. They have tremendous music. Family radio. You ever listen to it? They have good music. Okay? But they've taken out of it most of all those good preachers. And uh, Harold Camping. Yes, no? Know who I'm talking about? He was based out of Jersey, wasn't he? Was it Jersey or Delaware? He's based out. That, that guy has the strangest doctrines. He is all over the place. But a lot of people listen to his program because his music is, is good. And he used to have on really good preachers from uh, days gone by. 
and they've basically gotten rid of all of those. But he'd have those good preachers, and he would do his radio talk programs, and it was like, wow, Z, you are all over the place. Babies can get to heaven, you know, by being baptized, and all these different things. He was just strange, strange doctrine. Um, take advantage of good Bible study material. You, you and I have, at, we have a plethora of good Bible study material. You should be building at home. If you say, well, I'm not sure about the internet, then, then have a library at home of good books that you are very, very confident, whether that be a, uh, a hard copy of the books or you have an electronic library. But get some good stuff so that you aren't going on the internet and saying, I'm not sure if this is good. Get some recommended good, solid, dispensational, theologically strong material that you can then have confidence in to do your Bible study. Uh, let's talk about something else that happens. False believers. This one's a strange one. Go to Matthew 13. This one's kind of odd where there's an attack that comes from Satan and he makes it very clear. And um, uh, it's, it, to me it seems strange, but, it, but it's very, very true. He is talking of parables. Jesus is giving the... This is after he's given the sower, sower and the seed. He goes on and he talks in Matthew chapter 13. Jump down to verse 24. Another parable... Put he forth, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. While men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then there appeared the tares, or the weeds also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, did you not sow, did we not sow, uh, did you not sow good seed in your field, and from whence then has these tares? And he said, An enemy did this. The servants said unto him, Will you then that we go up and gather them up? He says, No, lest while you gather up the weeds or the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest time. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather together first the tares, then bind them uh, in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so he's talked about that. And jump down to verse 36. Okay? And he says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples said, Declare unto us the parable of the tares. He answered and said, He that sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of who? The wicked one. Who are we talking about? Okay, here we go. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. The reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it shall be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels. They shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous alone, uh, I'm sorry, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. So he's given us the story. He's given us the explanation. Okay, that it's very clear of what's going on here, that there's, there's this attack by Satan. His point is, during this age, Satan is mixing unbelievers with believers in the ministries that, are, that God is doing, in the quote-unquote kingdom ministries before the kingdom comes in physically. And so the idea is that there, are, uh, there is an effort to blend Christians with non-Christians within Christian ministries. And you won't see a full separation of this until the end times when God divides, you know, who's who. Okay, I got a question for you. How would mixing unsaved into the church, how would it corrupt the church? Let's say, let's, let's go back to doing this. Let's just say anybody can join our church. 
They don't have to. Let's, let's stop the thing. Let's stop following Acts 2. That they have to prove that they're born. They have to declare that they're born again. They have to be baptized. Let's just say anybody who wants to join our church can join our church. How could that corrupt our church? What's that? I'm sorry, say it again. Could those people become individuals in, in places of authority in the church? Okay. How could that hurt us? Okay, the standards could be different. What else? That's true. That is that what you guys have said is true. What, how else could it be dangerous to the church? Well, go ahead, Lloyd, louder. Okay. What else? Divides ministry? Somebody over here? Okay. Could, could we, could an influx of unsaved people... Could it take us? Could it cause problems doctrinally? Okay. Could we have infighting over doctrine, over basic doctrine? Could they take us? Could could an influx of unsaved people draw us away from evangelism? Yes or no? I mean, would unsaved people have a zeal for evangelism? Seriously, think that one through. Would there be any desire to do evangelism? No. What would missions become? Doing good. Okay. Doing social things. Okay. Could, could therefore, a blending of the lost and the saved in a church ministry, could it change and take, the, take away the truth of the Word of God from being preached? It will. What's that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The evil usually always. This is exactly what happened in the, we're going back into the fundamentalist controversies of the 1930s and 40s. Okay, we're going back historically. But this is exactly what happened in America, is all of a sudden people were born again, but there was a whole blend of what was that theological position called, where they deny the miraculous, they deny the deity of Christ, they deny the inspiration of Scripture. What kind of theology do we call that? <coughs> Begins with an L, ends with, you know, middle is liberal. Okay, liberal theology was had had gone through all kinds of denominations in America, and all of a sudden revival hit, and people were saying we need to get back to evangelism, and the liberal element in the denominations were saying no, no, evangelism is teaching the Indians to read. Now, there's, there's, that's a good thing, but they need to read the truth and get saved. But no, teaching people how to work and providing for you know, the orphanages, which is a good thing. But that became purely in and of itself evangelism. And so there was all this division that happened in the 30s and the 40s in America. Churches and denominations, there was huge infighting over... Who is going to be in charge of setting the mission for the churches? Who is going to be in charge of the leadership in the churches? Who, what is going to be the doctrinal position of the churches? And out of that whole thing, you can have what's called the fundamentalist movement, where basically peoples came to a point where they said, we are the fundamentalist, and we are holding to a conservative position, and the liberals, and that became a huge, a huge, huge change in American history as far as within the church, because they had had such an influx 
of saved with unsaved that all of a sudden churches lost their vision. It was, it was tremendous what happened, and could it happen today? Unbelievers in the church could easily ruin the purity of the church. Yes? Yes, no? Okay. Um, unbelievers in the church could easily derail Bible messages within the church. Okay. If we had a large element that were unsaved, do you think they want to hear the gospel? No. What does he warn about? People want their, yeah, they want their ears tickled. So if the preachers are being pressured to not preach the truth, does that ever happen in churches? Yes, no? Yeah, okay. Unbelievers in the church could easily turn the church from its real mission to become more of a social club. Unbelievers in the church could create division, anarchy over who leads. This is exactly what happened in Third John. Diotrephes took over, and Diotrephes was not interested in exalting Jesus Christ in the church. Diotrephes was interested in exalting Diotrephes. Okay? Are there churches where all of a sudden somebody who's in charge, it's all about them getting their way and staying in control? Okay? And so he warns us about those things, that it could even happen in the, in the pure church element where there's evangelicals, where born-again people, we have these tendencies. If there, was, if there was a blending, a constant blending, man, we'd have that all the time to the point that we're, we're so caught, caught up with what's going on inside, we forget the outside. And so this is a plan of Satan that he does this, and you could add lots of other things here, that he tries to destroy the church by blending in unbelievers. Oh, we had this. We had this in the past. We had somebody come, they wanted to join our church, and they had a very, very questionable testimony, but they claimed to be born again, and so love believes all things. And when they came in, I found out after a few, a few weeks, they only joined our church for one, one reason. This is quite a few years ago. But they only joined our church for one reason, and the reason that their, question, their testimony is a little bit questionable, they were a salesperson. Okay? And they were selling household items. Guess why they joined our church? Get customers. You know, they went through our directory and contacted, and when we found out about it, it was already, they were halfway through the directory, going through and trying to sell their, their items to people within church. And so then, you know, we, I made some contacts and some other Bible-believing churches in the area warned the other pastors that if this person comes through who had just moved in the area, this person is only getting involved and saying the spiel for one reason. It was just to make sales. Okay, and so, uh, there, you know, it, it's, it's a dangerous thing. We have to be very, very careful as far as understanding that Satan's trying to blend in. There is another way that he, blend, that he attacks religious, um, religious complacency. Matthew 13 is the sower and the seed. You know the story that as the seed is sown, the enemy comes and he, it's the ravens that come and pick up the seed. Our point is very simple. If the gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. That as the gospel is going out, as we preach this morning, Let's, let's talk about the spiritual atmosphere here. As the Word of God is being shared this morning, what is happening around us spiritually? Is there any evil activity that could be going on in this room? Sure. And as the Word is preached, what is Satan or his demonic hordes trying to do? Take away the Word of God from infiltrating somebody's heart so that they would get born again. We understand that, okay? That the God of this world is very active blinding people because, okay, what it teaches us is Satan doesn't want people to get saved. Would you agree that that's a biblical truth? Yes, no? 
Okay, would you agree that Satan is at work wherever the word of God, when I say Satan, his demonic hordes, they're at work wherever the word of God is distributed? That's a truism as well. Would you agree with this? He seeks to minimize the power of the word of God, changing lives. He doesn't want to see it happen. Would you agree with this? There's a spiritual battle taking place for people's minds right here, right now. That's a truism, okay? That's a truism of truth. So what do we learn as this is how do we combat it? Okay, we've got to make sure that we're of the faith, and then we don't want to be a part of any kind of distraction, okay, when it comes to worship. This is a practical application that says, okay, I don't want to hinder the, the presentation of the Word of God that might cause somebody not to hear, not to listen. We could talk about practical areas of how you can hinder by yourself being disinterested, distracted, or becoming a distraction, okay, to that effect. Give out the Word of God freely and let the Spirit use and work in the hearts. That's what I have to trust in, is that the Spirit is going to work. There's another form of attack, and it's in Acts chapter 5, okay, before we move into the spiritual, the battles that take place in Ephesians 6. Acts chapter 5, jump there for, as we wrap this whole section up. Acts chapter 5. This is the story that you are familiar with. Do you have a, is your Bible have paragraph headings? Yes, no? Anybody have it? What's the paragraph heading of Acts 5? Ananias and Sapphira, correct? Okay. Do we know who Ananias and Sapphira is? Okay, you familiar with the story? Ananias and Sapphira are two individuals who are within the church. They're, they're believers to our understanding. Okay, what was happening in Acts chapter 4, Acts 4 ends up talking about Barnabas, who is giving a lot of his goods, helping out the people in the church who were struggling financially. And so Barnabas is exalted as being a real example of charity. The son, the son of comfort is his name. And so he's, give, he's being charitable. And the apostles and the people are, are lauding those who are have the wherewithal to sacrifice to help out others who have lost their jobs for persecution's sake, uh, can't provide for the family, and others are coming to, to hold them up, help them out, and give them assistance as they're going through. We understand that whole story. And so Ananias and Sapphira see this happening in the church. They have some property somewhere, someplace, and they're going to sell their property, and they're going to give the money to help out others in the church, because apparently that's going to be recognized. That's going to be, be thanked, and they're going to hear some type of public recognition for it. And so they sell it. The problem isn't that they sold and gave. The problem is, what do they do with what they sold and gave? They, I'm so glad you said it this way. Several of you just said they lied about what they gave. Could they have kept all, and what they do is they come to the, in front of the church and Ananias brings in, you know, I'm going to throw a figure out. He brings in $5,000 and he says, this $5,000 we're giving to the church to use to help out people in need. And we are giving all the money that we sold the property for, all $5,000. But the fact was, they had sold the property for, yeah, $7,000, Okay. And they lied about saying, we are giving it all. And Peter even responds to it that basically says, you could have given the 5000 That's not the issue. You could have given part of it. You could have given all of it. That was totally up to you. Your problem is you lied about it. You hypocritically presented yourself, okay, and he asked himself, why hath Satan filled your heart to lie? You have not lied unto men, but unto God. By the way, this passage tells us that the Holy Spirit and God are equal, okay? And God's response to Ananias was what? 
Because he had lied, because he was presenting himself something that he wasn't, what did God do to him? He lost his life. Church discipline was pretty severe back then. Okay, he struck dead. And it says, as they are carrying him out of the, out of the building, who walks in the other door? His wife. And Peter asks her the same question. Okay, when she comes in, he asks, you know, you know is this what really, you sold the land for $5,000? She says, oh yeah, yeah, $5,000. And he, Peter says to her, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Okay, Satan hath filled your heart to lie. You are tempting the spirit of the Lord. What happens to her? He says, the same man who just carried your husband out, they're going to carry you out and you're going to die as well. You know, one of the verses that strikes me is, you know, after that, is verse 11 at the end of the story. This is an understatement verse. What happens after people see it? Great fear came upon all the church. Um, Yeah? Right? Yeah? Okay. So God's response to hypocrisy, okay, was very simple. Okay, you lie about something that you're doing, you present yourself, you could suffer the possibility of death. So Satan, here's our conclusion. Satan tempts saints to be hypocritical. And we know this is true because all of us have been tempted in this area. If we've been saved over two minutes. Okay, we've been tempted in this area. It's a part of our, it's a part of our Christian experience. So we have to ask ourselves, here's some point question. Are you really as God-focused as what you present yourself to other people? Are you as God-focused? Are you the same Christian family member here as you present yourself, are you that person when you're at home? Okay? You're the loving, the patient, the sweet parent. Okay? Here. And when you go home, you're a screaming, raving lunatic. Okay? That's hypocrisy. Okay? The, uh, the idea, do you pray and read the Bible as much as you portray yourself to do it? Okay? You know, he's warning us. You know, what, what, for me, here's, here's an area that really challenges me. When I, when I stand up to pray in a service, do I, am I genuine in my prayer life? And this, this is a motivation for me. Okay, I'm just, you know, tell all thing here. Um, the motivation challenges me that it's one thing to pray publicly. And I, like many of you, I know how to pray publicly. It doesn't intimidate me to pray publicly. But the concern is, and the challenge to me personally, and it's one of those things that helps me to stay on my toes, is, is it hypocrisy for me to lead us in prayer publicly and portray that I'm a prayer but never pray privately? Is that hypocrisy? It would be hypocrisy. And that's hypocrisy. Does God hate hypocrisy in our lives? For me, I find that as a motivation to be consistent in prayer is not to be one thing in public and another thing in private. And so the challenge here is, okay, when what we say we are, we should be the same thing. Should we be the same type of person? The way we talk to our family. The way we, yeah, the way we talk to our family. Should we be the same in public? And I understand there's going to be private conversations. But our, our general presentation of ourselves, should we be the same type of people in private and at home and here? I think so. I don't think we should be this, you know, I don't think um, demeanor-wise, it should be different between Deb and I in our communication, and, and I know there's going to be more intimacies and private conversation, but our treatment of each other should be the same at all times. 
in that sense that, you know, and somebody told me, I mentioned that once in a Bible study, and they said, oh, so I can be mean to my kids at church? That's not the point. The point is not bring, the church, bring your public appearance down. The point is bring your private up. Okay? So you and I have to be very careful with that. The reality is to remember Satan seeks to get us to be hypocritical. God is highly offended by religious hypocrisy in his kids. God disciplines such hypocrisy. In fact, we don't want to give something bad. Now, this is a true story that came back a few years ago. In fact, this guy in, in London, you can, you can Google, you'll find a lot of these cases. He goes down the street, buys the bread, takes it home, makes his kids the sandwiches for school. And the next day, he's taking the same loaf of bread and he's working, but he notices something in the loaf of bread the next day. Not all of it, because he had cut part of it off the day before, but he notices baked in the loaf of bread, there's this mouse. Okay, part, the part of it, but the tail is gone because it was in the part that he sent with the kids the day before. Okay, and so it became, it became you know, international news that they found this, this mouse. <laughs> um, guess what? The, the bakery was kind of investigated. Um, you know, the whole point is, you and I are not supposed to giving God something that's giving him polluted junk, giving him our vermin of our life. We have to be very, very consistent. Let's stop there. Let's pick up next week. Thanks for listening. Wake the person up next to you. We're getting ready for worship.